I'm fully in the camp of C++ is not a strongly typed language. And we jump through a lot of hoops to try to make it more strongly typed. We write strongly typed wrappers. We delete problematic overloads. We write templates that are constrained in specific ways. We say, I mean, like we teach single parameter or variadic constructors or constructors with default arguments. Pretty much every constructor at this point needs to be explicit. All of these things come down to implicit conversions that make the language less strongly typed. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast episode 104, recorded on October 26, 2022. My name is Connor, and today I continue my conversation with Jason Turner. Speaking of conferences, we can switch to kind of episode two of this uh, podcast, which is let us know what you've been up to for the last five months. How has it been? I mean, I'll link the final episode where you talk with Rob about sort of the reasons for ending CPP casts, and I also right. saw that there was a... I think it was PVS Studio came out with a sort of um, interview style post. So it's it's a written form post if you want to go read that sort of dives into those details of, you know, why CPPcast ended. So we don't need to necessarily go into detail, but if you want, feel free to to mention why it ended, what it's been like uh, for the last five months. And then, you know, we mentioned that you sort of went to a couple conferences. Yeah. Tell us what you've been up to, the talks you've been given, and uh, we'll go from there. A couple of times Rob and I have chatted and we're after like, a month or six weeks or so after we had ended CVP cast, we're like, wow, like my schedule feels just so incredibly different because <laughs> there isn't the, you know, on Monday morning, make sure we have the show notes and the news items and the interview questions ready to go for the interview on Wednesday. Like we, like it, that was, a, it was basically the only regular part of my schedule because I haven't been an employee in 13 years i think of a corporation a, you're, yeah. you're self-employed uh i'm self-employed i haven't had to directly answer to someone else about my schedule in a very long time except for cvp cast that was seven years of that and that was my regular like we have to do these things several times a week kind of uh, items on there so it was kind of freeing in some ways to just be like wow my schedule feels different i can i don't know it it felt like I was just more available in some ways. Uh, one of the things that I really wanted to do was do more development on my second channel, which I've recently renamed. It was called the Retro Programmer. I renamed it to the Fill in the Blank Programmer because I just kind of wanted a space where I could talk about anything programmingly re related and not have to deal with like the YouTubers that are like, I don't like this content because it's not C++, you know? Um, but to be fair, the name of the channel is C++ Weekly, so... Right. So my plan was to do a new episode on that channel every other week. And I did like six weeks of that. But, you know, without the name forcing you to keep going, C++ Weekly, right? <laughs> that forces me <laughs> to release an episode every week. So um, that was kind of hard. I still have plans, lots of plans for the other channel, but I haven't spent as much time on it as I expected to. But then I had two different contracts with one of my clients that I was trying to wrap up. So in between the other things, um, let's see, flew to England to speak at C++ on C in June, right? That was June, right? No, that's July. 
Uh, I think it was either late June or early July because that was no, it must have been July because it was the week before I think CPP North and CPP it was North two was... weeks before CPP North because I did the week yeah it was to the twenty eighth through the thirtieth of June. Oh no, that's twenty twenty three. Never mind. He already put up information for next week or for next year. Oh yeah, that's an irritating thing about some conferences is like tracking the dates and the talks by year because uh, yeah. the main link always goes to whatever the most recent conferences is. And uh, some conferences are great about you can find a thing and click on a year. I could just look at my own personal calendar. That's beside the point. I went and I did a workshop there and spoke, um, did the closing keynote at C++ on Z. And then drove from there to the Netherlands to do like my first on-site training in uh, well, it had been seven months since I had done my last like training event. So I did no four months. Sorry. So I did that and then flew from the Netherlands to Toronto to go to Seals North and then flew home. So that was a three week trip, which like we we're talking 2019 was crazy. 2019, that would have been like, whatever. That's just January. <laughs> 2022 you're like oh my goodness am i going to survive this <laughs> yeah yeah and and we have to say i have to say thank you as uh because you m ended up giving two talks at cpp north I did. um you initially submitted and got accepted the power of compile time resources i believe yes. and then we ended up having a couple different speakers that didn't end up making it you know one of them the airline was on strike Oh right! <laughs> like the 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 days leading up to it, and anyways, oh, goodness, right? That was Scandinavian air, right? Yeah. yeah, a couple different reasons we weren't able to have a couple speakers, and so you stepped up and gave a second talk, which was the best parts of C plus plus, which is one of my favorite talks that you've given. You've given it at a previous previous conference before, and I I love that talk because there's so like there's so many talks in C plus plus that focus on the warts of the language. Like I think even yourself, you know, you've given talks about like why initializer list is broken, and yeah. you know, so the, there's a a ton of talks out there that focus on UB and crazy things and shooting yourself in the foot. And it sort of, you know, goes hand in hand with C++. There are much fewer talks, at least from my, what I've observed of like why this language is a great language and focusing on all the things that like as C++ professionals, we know everything bad about the language and it's very easy to, you know, it's, I, I feel like it's almost that conferences it's like the thing. It's like, oh, so what are we complaining about in this group of people? Right. It's never, hey, let's talk about, you know, the ability to do generic programming in C++ and and the power that we have with insert this or insert that. And and your talk sort of goes through, I can't remember if it's 15 things or 25 things, but it's sort of all these, know. <laughs> you know, a list of things and you spend a few minutes on each one talking about like why this is great and uh, why you should be excited about this in C++. So it's a very like positive oriented talk. And I remember watching it. One, feeling like this is refreshing to hear someone like talking about why they really like the language. But two, I was like, just found myself nodding the whole time. Every once in a while, you'd get to something like as simple as, you know, the auto keyword for type inference. And it's like, well, that is actually like, it's amazing when you compare it to what you had to do back in like pre C++11, where you had yeah. to spell out all the namespaces and the iterator types. It's like, we take it for granted now as, you know, quote unquote, dealing in modern versions of the language. But like, compared to what you had to use to write, it's amazing. And even like comparing the type inference in C++ compared to Rust, like a lot of times you have to spell things out in Rust and you forget that like, oh yeah, I can just deduce the type of th this function returns because C++ is great at that stuff. And uh, yeah. you, you, we take it for granted. And anyways, enough about how amazing that talk is. You can say more about the two talks you gave at CPP North. And then I just watched the one at C++ on C, which is making C++ 
fun, safe, and accessible. I think if I got the, the title right. That sounds right, yeah. So how did those all go? Well, okay, so I kind of want to rewind just a tad because that talk you said was your favorite came from that 2019 year when I was doing all the travel and I had kind of set a public goal. I think I've tweeted it even of being like more positive about the language and not just focusing on the words. Cause it's too easy and too fun mm -hmm. to do that. Basically I mean, dunking is it's the best. It's why <laughs> yeah. Twitter, Twitter, you know, insert posting is a thing for a reason. <laughs> and then I got invited to a keynote at um, Corsi plus plus. It's the first year in Israel and uh, in Tel Aviv. And I thought, well, you know what? Like, I I have strong opinions about what a keynote should be, and I think keynotes should, in general, be um, a positive experience about the language, right? Like, if the keynote speaker that you invited to the conference spends, you know, thirty minutes of their ninety minutes dunking on the language, I feel like it might not have been the best choice for a keynote. <laughs> That's, uh, C++ keynote, why you should use Rust. <laughs> you know, um, so I thought, well, I really have to like come up with something that's like really good and positive and focuses on the good things of the language. So that talk is specifically organized to be an evolution of the language. It kind of takes you from like how ugly things were in C++ 98 from those of us who like started with C++ then to like how clean and simple things can be with a few auto keywords arranged for loop and, you know, uh, you know, a concept or two thrown in or something like that. Right. Uh, and it's funny cause I still like, man, I, I get these people push back still sometimes on YouTube and on Twitter. They're like, auto is a dumpster fire. It, it doesn't actually help with anything. It just makes your code harder to read and whatever. And, 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 and I'll come back and I'll say, really, like, really, you would rather type STD colon colon vector STD colon colon string colon colon const underscore iterator. Like, that's really what you want to type instead. <laughs> and people will push back with like, yes, because then I know what my program is doing. And I, mm, uh, nope. no, no, I've been there. I did that for a long time. No, this is definitely better. Yeah. I, I am a hundred percent in the almost always auto camp. Um, and don't get me wrong. I, I, I love the banter back and forth. You know, I, I've seen people give talks where they abrogate for this. And then the Q and A at the end is just people coming up. What about this case? And what about, yes, you know, that is programming. It depends a lot of the times, but yeah. like for what you just explained, I don't know how you can argue in the opposite direction that like, Oh, people do. <laughs> <laughs> you can, a lot of the times, even when you're using auto by looking to what's at the right of the equal sign, you can, a lot of the times like get a great sense or even know exactly what the type of the thing is that you're getting. Interesting that you get that pushback, but I, you know, that's, that's YouTube and Twitter for you and Reddit, you know, why not while we're <laughs> throwing them all under the bus. <laughs> and when I'm doing like training and auto comes up, the argument I generally make is, do you care what the type of this thing is? Do you really care what the type of vector dot size is? And 99% of the time, the answer is no. I, I know it's an integral thing. I don't care what the type is. And if you really want to, you know, constrain it with std integral, auto, right. whatever, right? Like, I don't care. And and so I try to point out that I think choosing to not care what the exact type is, is better 
than accidentally invoking an implicit conversion to the type that you thought that it should be. Yeah, there's been, I know at least one bug that I caused in my first job as a C++ <laughs> dev where I was using not auto. I was using short or something or, you know, int32t and it was returning a, a long, long or something. And we had some rule that like, you know, we're not supposed to use auto, but because it was a numeric insurance calculator, we had turned off and this is going to hurt your soul because I know your views on this. We had turned off like the W all and W no conversion. And this ended up in like a bug that got reported by a client because the long, long was like a table ID and it got truncated. And so it ended up in a crash. And like, I ended up giving an internal talk, or like lightning talk, it wasn't that long, basically being like, this bug would have been avoided if we had used auto because it w I wouldn't have to care about what the, what the type of this, you know, table ID, you know, what's, or if just... you could have turned on W conversion, it right. would have been caught yes. that way too. I mean, it would, it would break your heart to see all the warnings that are turned off and, and, um, I mean, I think we had explicit or implicit conversions from like floating to double, like all over the place and conversions to bool. Yes, it was, I, I'm with you that um, follow the starter project, turn everything on by default. And then like, you just don't have to worry about that stuff down the road. But yeah, my argument was like, use auto and then we would have, <laughs> we would have avoided the bug. Uh. So uh, you're alluding to the fact that I've been on a little bit of a rampage about conversion lately. I'm assuming you've seen some of that on Twitter. Um, I have seen some of it on Twitter, but I think it's top of mind just because, um, I just finished watching the, the C++ on C talk where you bring it up. And then also your most recent, um, C++ weekly video oh, right. talked about right. it as well and how the bugs could have been avoided if you just turned on the W dash or dash W, you know, insert all the things. Well, just W conversion is the one that I'm only rampaging on at the moment. That's the one that I mean, like, yes, I want all the other ones too. But that's the one that I have found historically is the most difficult to convince people to use. So I did a, one of my friends uh, does security related work, not C++, but he'll send me things sometimes where he says, look at this bug that was in the C++ code. And I, you know, I, I look at it and I can oftentimes spot it relatively quickly because I'm experienced with C++. For him, the language is, you know, less familiar. But he's the one who sent me the PlayStation bug. And I looked at it and he's like, yeah, this this error is less obvious to me. I look at it and I say, W conversion would have caught that immediately. <laughs> and so I start doing some more looking, which I've never really done before, but I start like browsing through the CERT database. And I've so far identified at least 10 fairly major security bugs that are in the CERT database, CVE's database, excuse me, CVE database, of um, 10 major bugs in C++ programs that would have been caught with dash W conversion. Security flaws. Wow. Like big deals. Yeah. C, C and C++ code, not all C++ code. Um, so I've been... I've been going at this on Twitter for the last two days, just like, oh, does anyone else want to see another security flaw that would have been caught with W conversion? And I still have people pushing back on Twitter, like, oh, it's just too noisy. It doesn't actually catch anything useful. And I'm like, it's the, that, that security bug right there that I just showed you <laughs> it would have caught. I think the problem is, is that a lot of companies don't have this stuff on default from the beginning. And so... Having them try and turn it on after the fact leads it's to hard. like thousands and thousands of things. But it's like, yeah. if you're starting a new project like Greenfield, it is so nice to have static analyzers. Like I consider them like programming hugs. Like, and I, I term that from like, you know, doing a little bit of Rust programming. It's like the Rust compiler. It's just like the difference between 
Rust and like C++ without all the analyzers and warnings turned on. Yeah. It's just like, hey, you're doing this. You don't need to do this. Do you want to do this? And then like gives you a suggestion of what you should do. And you're like, wow, that's, well, thank you for that. That's very nice. Uh, and it's like, that's what warnings are. It's like, turn them to fail. And it's like, ah, oh, this didn't work. Like, and I will give you this, the C++'s warnings aren't as good. Um, but sure. for a lot of the bread and butter ones, like conversions, they point exactly at what the problem is. And it's just like, oh, you're doing, do you want to do this? And it's like, uh, yeah, I don't want it. Well, thank you very much. It's just like having a nice friend there that like puts their arm around your shoulder and says, hey, buddy, uh, <laughs> did you mean to do this? And it's like, you're right. I didn't mean to do that. Thank you very much. And it's it's not something that gets in the way. It's something that if you use it from the beginning, it's just like having a nice friend staring over your shoulder. Well, and I also find it kind of reprograms how I program. So I'm less likely to write code that would ever invoke those warnings in the first place. Yeah, yeah, that's... It's true. It's the same way with formatting is a lot of the times you can sort of predict when something is going to get is going to do terribly in formatting. So you'll yeah. adjust the way that you're structuring something, not semantically, but just sort of anyway. So. So I'm going to ask you a question, though. OK. Um, Rust doesn't allow implicit conversions, right? Correct. Are there any implicit conversions from C++ that you wish Rust actually did? I don't think so. I mean, (laughs) I do. There are parts of C++ that like having learned it and used it in coding competitions that are like shortcuts that are like, if you know what you're doing are really nice. Like probably my favorite one is if you do a plus or what is it? If you do an equal on a hash map, like an unordered map or map, it'll automatically insert or use the default value or something. Whereas right. like in other languages, like Python, you can't do that with a dictionary. You have to use a specialized collection called the default dictionary. Um, that is a nice hack that like when I'm trying to write something really quickly for a competition, I yeah. like that that's there. And I like that I can use an integer as a Boolean value in a while loop and not have to do like a not equal to zero to materialize that Boolean. So like it type checks, things like that. I like for like, you know, being doing hacking and going really quickly. But like if I'm writing production code, I don't think implicit conversions uh, are something that there are things that I, are not in Rust that I miss, but from C plus plus. But yeah, implicit conversions is not one of them. Why? Do you are there conversions that you miss? Or I know you've done a little uh, bit of programming because I've seen the live stream that you did with your your cousin uh, back in the day. Yeah, no, I, I've only I've only toyed with Rust, but um, I've since I'm on this rant about implicit conversions right now, I'm becoming increasingly convinced that. I'm going to go with at least 50% of the sharp edges in C++ would no longer exist if we had a compiler flag to disable implicit conversions. Interesting. That's based on what, like, just thinking through my own training material. And I'm like, wow, if we didn't have implicit conversions, this section wouldn't matter, this section wouldn't matter, this section wouldn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I know a whole category of bugs that I've seen in multiple companies that I've worked at where... It's a combination of things, but like you have arguments, you know, I've seen both the bug where you have a long list of arguments, some of which are pointers and some of which are booleans, and then they mix up the order and then one will implicitly convert. And I've also seen where you have a long list of parameters and some default arguments, and then you forget like that there's defaults there. And anyways, and like some of that is just like, don't put three booleans in a row next to pointers or whatever. It's just that reading the code, you have no idea what true, false, true, true means. Um, But yeah, if implicit conversions weren't allowed that would like i think all of those bugs would disappear we wouldn't have to teach what object slicing is if we didn't have implicit conversions yeah 
I prefer static typing in general and strong typing. And implicit conversions break strong typing. Yeah. I was going to say C++ is not a strongly typed language specifically because it has implicit conversions baked into the language. Yeah, this is a great, well, not necessarily tangent, but like, so, and I first started thinking about this when I think I attended my first conference, which is in 2019, and Peter Sommerlad was giving a talk on strong typing. And I think I had watched a couple talks online. I think one was given by Phil Nash, you know, it's static typing, dynamic typing, strong, weak. And I was trying to figure out like, what, what is strongly typed? Because like static versus dynamic is like, it's by definition, but like strong versus weak just seems to be an opinion. And Peter was arguing, and I remember asking, if you go back and watch the talk, I can throw it in the links. I remember asking, like, how can you say, like, C++ is strong? Like, it implicitly converts everything. Like, compared to Haskell, compared to Java, it's a weaker language. Like, how can you call it strong? And then everybody in the room, or at least most of the people that were answering, and Peter said, like, it's strong if you want it to be strong. Like, you can design your programming code to be strong. But I was like, okay, so if you're defining custom types, etc. But, like, but that's, like... So you can opt in and write a strong program, but like the language by default is not strong. And like, there are some people that are probably listening to this, but that'll respond on Twitter being like, no, C++ is strong. But like on a ranking of la of languages, like it falls, I think it falls below like Python. I think Python is more strongly typed than C++ is potentially. But also like the argument of what makes a strong language, it's like you ask a different programmer, software engineer or PL person, and they'll give you a different answer. Some people don't think that like implicit conversions has anything to do with whether a type is uh, strongly typed or not. I guess I'm moderately curious what that argument is. I'm fully in the camp of C++ is not a strongly typed language. And we jump through a lot of hoops to try to make it more strongly typed. We write strongly typed wrappers. We delete problematic overloads. We write templates that are constrained in specific ways. We say, I mean, like we teach single parameter or variadic constructors or constructors with default arguments. Pretty much every constructor at this point needs to be explicit. We, um, any conversion operator, we argue, needs to be explicit. And then we see these, like, uh, you know, people tweeting about how C++ is a dumpster fire because you can do something like pass an int to the constructor for a string and you have no idea what it's going to do, basically. All of these things come down to implicit conversions that make the language less strongly typed. If I can pass an int, theoretically, or a boolean. Well, you can pass a boolean, right? You can pass a boolean to a function expecting a string because it's going to implicitly find the const character pointer overload for standard string constructor. And that's not what you wanted it to do, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's strongly typed. <laughs> you heard it here first. Jason doesn't think so. I don't think so. And there's a ton of talks online. I'll, I'll try and find a few of them. I'll find the Peter one. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's C++ devs that they just don't like to admit that other languages are better when it comes to this. And like, you can get so much stuff. Um, I just recently discovered one of my favorite things in programming is Haskell has a function search engine based on, um, they call it type signature, but in, in C++ or C, it's just a function signature. Um, and so you can, you know, if you want to find all the functions that take a vector and return a vector, like you can do that in Haskell because it's such a, it's got an amazing type inference engine and it's so strongly typed. And Rust has a sort of, it's not as amazing because of all the different, you know, types that you can have in Rust, but it has something called Rugal, which is, uh, I guess a play on Hoogle, which is a play on, you know, Haskell Google. 
someone someone responded, "What is Go? If Go has one, what are they going to call it?" Because uh, <laughs> it's already <laughs> nice. already taken. Um, but like you know, C plus plus, I don't think could really ever have something like that because of the implicit conversions. Like you could have a very poor form of it, but like it's not actually going to capture what you, all the different you know po- things that could possibly work. Well, you can get yeah. I mean, some tools get pretty close ish. Like I think in C Lion, if you type like function name open paren it will show you like in a uniform call syntax way both all of the things that could be member functions on the next type that you're typing in or all the things that could take that type as a function parameter so it gets pretty close but not no not to that extent i've heard that I, I saw the tweet that jet Prains did about the that c line feature and i think i retweeted instead of like if this is true like that's a, that's amazing because that's kind of one of the arguments for why you want like a UF, UFCS um, uh, sort of paradigm or like, you know, object oriented where you can have the sort of dot completion, you know, go, you go dot on an object and then it can easily suggest you everything that can come. And right. without that, if you're just calling free functions, it's a lot harder. But supposedly I've heard C-Line has pretty good it suggestions does do it. It for does that. Work. Yeah. Although sometimes it confuses me because I'm like, I wasn't looking for a free function. I was looking for a member. And they're like, oh, right. It's doing this to be helpful. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Look at that. Free sponsorship for uh, for JetBrains. Uh, Do we have a sponsor for this show? How does no, this no, no. We've been reached out by a bunch of companies, but it's one of the things that uh, until I, there's some huge monetary, like life-changing amount of money, I don't think. I uh, I like having the uninterrupted sponsors and... Uh, quick outro although some people complain they're like what? we didn't know that episode was gonna end you could have given us like a 30 second heads up because a lot of the times i just like hard cut <laughs> and it says thanks for listening bye <laughs> wait for next week for the next episode yeah subscribe now all right we were talking though we took a couple tangents we were talking about um c plus plus on c slash cpp north and the talks that oh, happened yes, there the last five months yeah so yeah how did how did c plus plus on c go how did the the workshop go how'd your talk go I had one paid student in my workshop. The rest were volunteers. Oh, wow. And then the workshop that I was supposed to give at CVPCon got canceled because there wasn't enough people signed up. It was This was a bad year for uh, on-site workshops for conferences. That is what I observed. But I don't know how they went at C++ North because I didn't give one there. Uh, if I recall correctly, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think on average it was way lower than what we had hoped. But I think there was at least four to seven in each class and i know one of them i think originally had six or something and then two or three didn't end up um able to coming because once again travel problems right but i think i mean it looked it looked like it was going to be similar to like you know one or two students but i think each one ended up having at least i want to say it was in like the four to seven range uh if i'm drastically off you know Look forward to a future episode where I will correct this after Mike Dom <laughs> DMs me and he's like, how'd you get it so wrong? There was 17 in each class. Yeah. Well, but regardless, it sounds like, yeah, probably not like it was three years ago where at a reasonably sized conference, you expected around 10 to 30 students in each class or something like yeah. that. Yeah. It was a, a lot smaller, I think. Yeah. Uh, but the conferences were all good. Um I had direct exposure to COVID at the speaker's dinner at C++ on C. And then I had direct exposure to COVID at the speaker's dinner at C++ North. So I skipped the speaker's dinner at CBPCon because I decided I just didn't want to go down that road again. (laughs) Did you manage to dodge COVID in both instances? Yeah, as far as I know. I mean, over the last... How long has it been since we did this thing to... 
almost three years, right? All of 2020, 2021, 2022, almost. I've had like, I don't know, two or three weeks in total that I felt like I feel kind of run down. I should take a relaxing day tomorrow. But as far as I know, I've never, I haven't even had a cold, like, because of all the things, I guess. And I'm the kind of person who usually gets, like, a bad cold once a year. So, didn't have a cold. I've never tested positive for COVID. Between um, C++ on C and CPP North, I took a COVID test an average of, like, every other day just to see how I was doing. And they all came back negative. Wow. That's what I know. That's that's pretty lucky. I mean, I know that for most of the times, not the dinner, obviously, when folks are eating, but it was a mass yeah. conference at C++ North. I'm I'm not sure if C++ on C, but obviously that helps if you're uh, if folks are masking at least when you can, obviously, if you're putting a pizza. C++ on C was not a masked conference, but the weather was good enough and the way that venue is set up. We generally speaking had pretty good airflow through the conference. Right. But there was five or six people who tested positive after that one, like relatively low numbers still. And generally, I think C++ North, I don't know the total numbers. There was one or two people that tested positive. They were at my table at the speaker's dinner. Oh, were they? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I got an email saying, just so you know, two people at your table at the speaker's dinner tested positive. <laughs> yeah, that's always concerning. Uh, I can't remember if they, it might have been... I mean, I'm sure I had close exposure as well. I got an email. Um, but yeah, luckily, I mean, at, at the time, I think I was triple vaccinated and had already had it in, I think it was earlier this year. I went skiing and ended up getting it. Uh, and it was pretty bad, actually, because I had missed my third vaccine. I think it was my third vaccine. I was registered to get on a Monday, and then the ski trip was a Friday to Saturday, and then there was a snowstorm on the Monday and my oh. uh, appointment got canceled and I tried to rebook and then they rebooked it for like the Friday that I was leaving. And so I ended up, didn't end up getting it, caught COVID and then basically was like dying for four days. But uh, and then I ended up getting like the booster, the third vaccine, like a week after that, which two days after I got that, they then said, oh, if you just recovered from COVID, wait like eight weeks because right, um, right. you don't really need it. So then I, there was like a period where I was like ultra, ultra <laughs> like safe from it because I had both a booster vax and had just recovered from it. But anyways, good to know that you uh, you dodged. Um, I dodged it all. And I'm planning to get my bivalent or whatever fourth shot booster before I make my next round of travel. Yeah, yeah. I think those are those became available recently in Canada as well. Um, yeah, I should get that. Whenever. We have still like two or three max mass vaccination sites set up. And I thought that our state had like shut them down. I guess they had shut down not the vaccination sites, but they had shut down the mass testing centers is what they had done here. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I don't know. How hard is it to get an appointment or whatever? So I go and look and it's like, which vaccine would you like? And it, full drop down box. Like, uh, I think I'll take the bivalent from Pfizer. And they're like, okay, go to this location and see if there's any bookings available. And I look and there's four spots available every single hour of every single day. So <laughs> how times have changed. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the case in the States, but in Canada, I mean, trying to get a vaccine. I remember having like six browsers across 
two computers oh, yeah. and like hitting F5. And I tried writing a script at one point, but it just wasn't. I think we talked about trying to get you to Colorado. Because yeah, was- yeah. That actually had, so that was super kind of you. Uh, I had, <laughs> I can't remember what it was, if I tweeted or something came up and I just, or not, that's what had happened is it, I was attending one of the virtual yes. previously North Denver C++ meetups. And I had had my first vaccine and was trying to get my second one. But like basically the way I was in some weird postal code, which is the equivalent of a zip code in the States, where like I didn't qualify for vaccines. And so every once in a while, this account would tweet, say that we have like 800 spots. If you go to this link now, you can get like a sign up, but they'd be gone in like three minutes from the time. Anyways, you had offered, I had said, oh, maybe I should just come down because you were saying at the time they were, you could walk into any sort of Rexel or um, Walgreens. Yeah, not Rexel here. But yeah, you could walk into basically any drugstore. Any pharmacy, anyone that had a pharmacy, and just walk up and get a shot at that. At no that health card or, or anything, or I'm not sure. I guess you don't have health cards in Canada or in the states, but like you don't need to show anything. They'll just like, which one do you want? Is this your second, third? What do you have before? And that's it. Yeah. And I almost pulled the trigger on that. <laughs> it's not quite that. So we had we had all the backups that you all had, but you know, like a month before you did. Or something like that. Right, yeah. And then by the time you were trying to get your second shot, it was now super easy here. But now the vaccines are not quite as free-flowing as they were. You do have to make an appointment again and make sure you have a slot. And I think it's more just about managing inventory than it is about actual availability. Like, they don't want to defrost a bunch and throw them away or, or whatever. Right. Anyways, I guess the moral is everyone should go get their shots. Uh, they definitely, and also too, a side benefit. I was never a big fan of needles. And I mean, still I'm not, but there's a couple times now where I've had to get a, a tetanus shot for whatever reason and, uh, you know, some freezing for dental work. And now I'm just like, oh yeah, like vaccines are great. You know, like that's, that's uh, the more the merrier. you know, it's, uh, I used to sort of be concerned going in and now it's just like, I remember that after getting the first vaccine. I was in such a good mood. <laughs> like, I think I ran, I ran a couple kilometers there and then got the shot and then continued to run whatever, however many more. And I was just, I felt like invincible. I was like, oh yeah, I got this vaccine. And uh, like some people were saying it knocked them out for a few days. And I was, oh man, it, it, it like, uh, it was like a booster in terms of my mood. And I felt yeah. like I was a superhero uh, because like, I, there was just so much anxiety around being able yeah. to go out and um, it's just, a, and it was, you know, it's only the first one of two and you, you, you get even more invincible, quote unquote, you know, after the <laughs> second one, but just, I don't know. I, I had a very good experience. You know, it felt like someone punched me in the shoulder a little bit, but other than that, I was like, all oh, right, I can go take on the world again and, you know, go and hang out in someone's backyard and feel that much less anxious about, you know, um, ending up ill. I kind of had a similar ish experience on my second shot. You know, it was like uh, 12 hours or whatever before the symptoms hit me from the actual shot. And then I was like knocked out for 12 hours pretty hard. But then on the like third morning or the second morning, the third day after the second shot, I woke up and like, I felt great. And I went on like <laughs> the best run I had gone on in like a year. Like, that <laughs> was so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Folks, folks haven't gotten their shots. You listen to those stories and go get your, your superhero, superhero status. Um, (laughs) (laughs) tune in next week for part three of this three-part interview with Jason. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.